Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. I think I am too. That's really what today is about. It's dealing with those shallow areas of our life, our faith. If you were with us last week, you know that we kicked off a new series, and it's called Roots. And we were talking in this series about our life in the framework of the parable of the sower. In the parable, Scripture talks about four different types of soils that receive the Word of God. You've got the rocky places that we're going to be dealing with today. Last week, we talked about the path. But lots of times through the years, I've heard people, they talk, these are different responses, the way that individuals respond to the word of the Lord. And because you might say today, I'm a believer, so I'm good soil. I'm going to say that's not necessarily how that works. Because the sower casts the word. And our ability to receive the word in the way that God wants us to determines our soil level. And what I've learned in my life is that I'm actually all of these soils. That sometimes I'm good soil. Sometimes I'm rocky soil. Sometimes the seed gets choked away by thorns. And sometimes it just misses altogether. Not because the seed's bad. Because in God's world, the seed all works. It all is good. It all is good and God indiscriminately throws that seed over every area of our lives. The good places, the places that it may not produce because God's grace is that big. And his desire is for you and me to be fruitful in every area of our life. Are you? My guess is no. Your life like mine probably looks like a big mixed field where parts of it have been run over so many times that there's no getting through it. It's just a hard path. But today I want to talk about what's underneath the surface, the stony soil that receives the word of the Lord with joy at first, but doesn't have the root to go down. Those spaces in our heart that are shallow, like we just saw represented in that video. As I was thinking about this message today, I was reminded of my grandmother. She was a wonderful woman and a great cook. She's from the Spanish side of my family, so we called her Abuela. And so Abuela, she would offer anybody that wanted to, any of her grandchildren, $20 to come and weed out her garden. The garden went around the house. It was a flower garden. It went around the house. It wasn't a very big house. But she had this garden that sort of went around the entirety of the home. And she says, if you want these $20, all you have to do is come over. I'll give those monies to you once you complete the work. And I'm like, cool. I'm about 12 or 13. And my dad says, what time do you want me to pick you up? And I told him what I'm doing. I said, Awella wants me to weed the yard. So I don't know, a couple hours. He says, I'll pick you up at 5. And he dropped me off at like 8.30 or 9 in the morning. And I'm going, okay, this is seeming ominous already. But thinking my dad maybe had other things to do. I'm like, okay, I'm good with this. Come pick me up whenever you can. I'll get done when as fast as I can. So I worked hard. I went around that yard and I picked every weed I saw. And I got it all finished in two hours. And I said, all right, Abuela, I'm finished. Come outside, see what I've done. And she looks at me, she goes, I know. This is not done. 
You see those? And I thought that old people's eyesight sort of went uh, and got worse with age. Not my grandmother. She had microscopic vision that could see germination underneath the soil. And she starts pointing out to me. I'm like, she says, you didn't get that out. Well, I wear. What are you talking about? That little. And I go and I look on the ground. And this is tiny, minuscule leaf. And she says, that if it grows up will kill my flowers. Get it. And so I'm there. I think I'm done after four hours. And I go and say, okay, abuela, I'm done. Now, it's not $10 an hour. I thought I was done in two hours. Now, I've got five bucks an hour. I think, well, not exactly what I was hoping for. But at 13, that's not a bad wage. And so, I bring her back outside. She says, this is not finished. You want the $20, you got to do a good job. And so she's like pointing out things that I didn't even know could exist in a garden. Stuff that looked like flowers. She says, that's a weed, this and this and this. She's walking me around the house. Finally, I finish. I've been out there for seven hours. Seven hours. And I'm starting to do the math. Two dollars and like 80 something cents an hour. This isn't very good. Awella, this is a ripoff. And I said, I don't ever want to do this again. I never worked for her for money ever in my life again. But I did work for food. That's a different story. I did work for food. The, the problem, though, wasn't the goal. The $20 was always there. What my grandmother was trying to teach me was the value of hard work to produce what it is that I want. That there are some areas or some things that we encounter in life that will require more work to possess, to obtain. But it's the ability or inability to do the work to produce the outcome that actually gives us fruit in our lives. This is Jesus' point in this part of the parable that we're going to read. We're going to read all of it, again, because I want you to have a big picture of what it is that the Lord is talking about. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, but we're going to specifically deal with the rocky part of these verses. Verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. Remember last week I said that this was an old school microphone. It was an amplification device because the crowds are loud. But Jesus, being Jesus, wants everyone to get this message. So he pushes out so that his voice would carry through that plane where everyone was waiting to hear what it is that Jesus was saying. While all the people stood on the shore, Jesus said these things, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Having ears is not enough in the kingdom of God. It's the ability to hear what it is that the Lord is saying. 
to listen intently, to go deeper and understand the meaning of what is trying to be communicated by Christ to us. Imagine, if you will, Jesus says the secrets of the kingdom are held up in this story. And in Mark chapter 4 and verse 13, he says that if you don't understand this parable, you're going to miss it all. Because I am the word speaking the word. And the reason I'm speaking the word is because my desire is for every area of your life to be very productive. Now, the production that he's talking about here in this scripture is ridiculous production. 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. This is an unheard of return on the investment of a single seed. But he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this, that when the word of God really seeds into your heart and it finds itself in good soil, it will produce in your life exponentially. The question, though, is that sometimes we don't really have the ears to hear that intuiting the word of God re requires a bit of receptivity of us hearing and intuiting or really understanding, taking to heart what it is that the scripture or the word of God is trying to speak to us. We agree, in most cases at least, those of us that are in church on Sunday, that this is the word of God and we ought to listen to it, but our ability to listen to it sometimes falls in the place of our reception in shallow ways. We all have good motives. We come to church, we'll hear a good word, and we'll be motivated to change. Love your enemies. Wait, what? And we'll even agree that the word is true, but won't live it out. And so it tries to make its way into our heart. And immediately we receive joy. It's like those that get excited because the message of God has come. And it's, it's really penetrated. And we'll shout. We'll be excited. And then we'll go out into our cars and immediately forget or lose what it is that we had just intended. Maybe that good intention to share the gospel with our neighbors. Maybe the plan to do something big and important with the gifts and talents that you have. You heard just a couple of weeks ago about our desire for everyone to find the good soil and we all say yes, but then life just gets in the way. This is what's going on and the disciples being unsure about what it is that Jesus is saying, saying the kingdom of heaven is like this, a farmer that goes out to sow the seed, like what do you mean by this? Like what's the analogy? What are you trying to communicate? Jesus says, verse 20 of the same chapter, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The reason they fall away is because there's a hardness to the heart. So that they receive the word with joy and are even excited about it. And we know these areas of our heart. We know that kind answers turn away wrath, but when we're angry, we just say what's on our mind. We know that the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength, but sometimes we feel like it's hard work instead. We know what scripture says that all things are possible for those that believe, but sometimes we sort of oscillate back and forth between belief and unbelief. 
And so our lives are unproductive. They're unproductive in our marriages. They're unproductive in our studies. They're not as productive as they should be. Sure, there's initial response. It's the flash in the pan. Have you ever known someone that gets real excited about an idea and then within a very short time burns out? They tell you how it is that they're going to make a change. I'm going to get healthy in 2020. This is my year. I'm going to the gym every day. And they go for like a week. And they're real excited, but then they don't see the results because getting in shape is more than a week's worth of work. Like my grandmother's garden, it's going to take you a little bit more than just show, deciding you're going to show up for a week. It requires an investment of time and commitment to something to see it grow. Church planting, I have learned, is a lot like this. It's investing and toiling and churning and waiting for the crops to come up. But there's sometimes that we just hit the, that hard pan. And God's trying to communicate something really powerful to us and we miss it. Paul, picking up this idea in Romans chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Because your hearts are hard and unrepentant, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This works out in our lives that the areas that don't produce where we want them to produce Will, will eventually come back upon us. If I don't nurture my marriage the way that I should, eventually my marriage is going to fall apart. If I don't nurture my faith the way that I should and invest in the things of God in the manner that I should, then what's gonna happen is, is my faith on the day that I need it is not going to be there because I've not nurtured it because of a hard heart. And the judgment of that means unproductivity. If I don't invest good work and effort on my job, I might lose it. If I don't invest in friendships, they might fall apart. If I don't invest well financially or I'm not a good steward, then likely I'm going to be in some measure of financial peril. We can go on and on and discuss the ways in which this manifests. My suspicion is, is that all of us deal with this on some level or another. That there's a shallowness called by, caused by a hardness of heart that the word of God deeply desires to enter into. My question for you this morning is, is where has God been trying to get a hold of your heart? Where are those areas that immediately they spring up, but the follow through just isn't what it should be? This is where the Lord is desperately trying to get a hold of you and me. And he wants to get a hold of the shallowness in our heart, so that he can work through it. So what are the symptoms? Shallowness, there'll be a symptom that's not always easy to see on the surface because it's the stuff that lies underneath. And that's that there is no root support. To grow anything, you've got to be able to have the root support to make it grow because otherwise it will show up and look like it's got it all together, but internally it doesn't. Have you ever put on a smile for everyone to see, but inside you're a wreck and falling apart? This is the space that this text it intersects for us and what Jesus is talking about. You don't have root support, and because you don't have the root support, you end up being a quitter. You set out to do all kinds of tasks. You are intentional about trying to make a difference, but you struggle with it. Luke 9 and 62 talks about this and says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom. The kingdom work or kingdom results require consistency, require us committing ourselves wholly to the purpose and plan that God has. 
This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. But you ask believers to fast, and immediately you're like, fast where? Run fast to the store to get some food? I'm in on that. But actually missing food, I'm not sure. Because the principles and the disciplines sometimes are a rub against what it is that we want to do. And so we'll put our hands to the plow over and over again and we yield results that aren't kingdom manifestations or kingdom abundance and we're frustrated. We're frustrated because our life isn't producing the outcomes that we hope. And when we get here, we have the flash in the pan as we see. The flower shows up, but as soon as the sun hits it, it won't last. I saw this in my yard few years ago, there was this area that was dead that I couldn't get to produce. And I was trying to figure out what in the world was going on. So I, I decided I was going to put some seed on it. So I put seed on the, this area and I watered it. I watered it diligently every day till the grass started to grow. And the grass came in. It looked beautiful because it had the water. It had the sunshine. But when we have one of those North Carolina scorchers, you know, like we have here, those scorchers that seem to come every summer where the temperatures get into the high 90s or even eclipse 100. We had a couple of days like that. And I look over at this good grass that I've just spent all this time and money and effort on growing. And it all withered up. It's like, what in the world gives? And so the next year I decided to buy strips of sod. I'm going to fix this. And maybe it was that the seed and, 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 and the top layer of soil was the problem. So I'm going to try this. And so I did that. Spent all this money on sod. Put a brand new sod in. Same thing. Summer scorcher comes. I lose it all. I'm literally watching my investment burn up in my yard. I decide I've got to figure out what's going on here. And so I'm going to churn up the soil to figure out what in the world is going on. And so I churn it up. And sure enough, on the surface, the soil was good. But underneath it, it was rocks everywhere. And so what I had to do was dig out the rocks, rake it up, add some good soil. Now that part of my yard is the most lush and grass-filled part in my entire lawn. But I had to deal with the soil conditions. In the same way, the Lord wants us to deal with the soil conditions in those areas that are not productive. If you find yourself quitting, or maybe you're a fast starter, but you can't sustain progress. Maybe you're like what James talks about in the first chapter, in the 24th verse, is that you're someone that beholds yourself in a mirror, but then when you leave the mirror, you forget who you are. I saw that not long ago. I won't say who it was, but we were in the bathroom and we were coming out and we had just all washed our hands and we stood in front of the mirror and we walked out of the bathroom and the bro had something on his face, right? Up underneath his nose in this area. And so I'm looking, I'm going, man, you didn't deal with something you need to deal with because now we're all seeing what it is that you didn't take care of when you were beholding yourself in the mirror. What had been just a private little moment with some guys is now very public because now the entire community of faith can see that you got a booger on the side of your face. You need to go back and check that out. Oh man, I, I forgot that it was, deal with it. You got to deal with that stuff because what is hidden today will be manifest when the trials come. When the circumstances are, a faith that's not been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. It's the faith that knows how to dig its roots deep. But to dig deep roots, you've got to deal with the stuff that keeps them from going down, which are those stony places of our heart. 
Another way we see this manifesting itself, this lack of root system or lack of strong roots is that folks that make commitments but then can't follow through with it. I like what Philippians says when it talks about this because it says that we ought to have no rivalry or conceits, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Yet each of you look not only to see his own interests, but also the interest of others. So in this verse in Philippians, what Paul is doing is actually setting a standard that's higher than the ideal that Jesus made, hoping that people will at least just meet the ideal. The ideal is love your neighbors yourself. But Paul's saying is consider people even better than you, showing you that the benchmark should be here just so you can make it to here, to, to measure to God's standard. Okay, consider others better than yourself. That's something, I, if I love somebody, I can prefer my grandchildren, I don't have grandchildren, but if I had them, I could prefer them. I could prefer my kids and put them above myself. That's not a hard thing to do. I can do that with my spouse, I think, some of the time at least. But the problem is, is my enemies or the people that don't like me prefer them more than me. What are you talking about? See, I agree that the word is good, but now that it's rubbing against my life in a way that makes me uncomfortable, I immediately want to dismiss it. I'll receive the word of God with joy and say, yes, I should live this way. But now that it's costing me something, then all of a sudden it goes out the window. That shows the shallowness of heart. So in a real way this morning, I'm not just preaching to you, but I'm preaching to this pastor. This pastor is preaching the word of God and sitting there in a congregation alongside of you going, you know what, there's some shallow spaces in my heart that God's still trying to deal with. Some areas that are not producing in the way that I want. And I need to deal with that. And we need to deal with that if we want to grow in the way that the Lord wants us to. This has been very manifest to me. Most assuredly is the way that believers have been responding to this coronavirus of late. Everyone is afraid that it's going to come. And so you go into the store and you see all kinds of manifestation. Believers that will quote to me Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my strong tower, and whom I can trust. But I need me some hand sanitizer and we'll get 75 of those things. Put them in their buggy. Pushing people out of the way. Somebody has a little bit of a sweat or they see somebody cough and they're like, where's the hand sanitizer? Can I get in a decontamination shower? Where's the respirator mask? I got to get out of the way. Who is your source? Now, I'm not saying that we should live flippantly or naively or not be prudent, but there comes a point where our prudence or our disguise of prudence is actually undermining the principle that we say that we believe in. Who is our source? God is our source, but that doesn't mean we don't put the seatbelt on. We put the seatbelt on knowing that we've done what we can, but we trust because there are some things that are worse than death. And that is living into a life where we don't love each other and we're more concerned about our self-preservation than we are our neighbors that are hungry. This is the rub. And this is what we're seeing and it's manifest to us right now. And you can really see where people's faith meter is when something like this virus comes into the fore for us. We get very afraid, wondering what's going to happen. If it comes to me, then what? For a believer, that should be the least of our concerns. Because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
Our job is to live functionally into the purposes and plans that God's called us to. But that requires something different of us to process faith, to be prudent. Yes, wash your hands. Yes, please don't cough on anybody. But also, love your neighbor as yourself. Or perhaps prefer them. Maybe instead of grabbing the last one and you see somebody grabbing right behind you for the same thing, putting it in their buggy instead of yours. Who's your source? It's these moments that really rub us in our lives and really expose where we're not living into the virtue and the plans that God has for us that really should be testing and telling us a bit about who we are. That there's rocks underneath our soil that if we don't deal with, our lives will not produce the way that God intends. So, an inefficient root system or no root support, it doesn't matter how good the plant is. It doesn't matter how good the top layer of soil is. It doesn't matter that it has a water that can uh, provide for it every day. If there is rocks underneath the soil, if there's hard places in your heart, it won't produce. The second symptom of shallowness is that you struggle with burnout. We've already made an allusion to it earlier about the root system not being strong enough for people that start really fast and then can't sustain. But I wanted to make this its own point because there's something here in the text that you need to understand that it's trying to communicate. Jesus says that when the sun comes up or trouble or persecution, it scorches the plants because it doesn't have any deepness of root and it dies off. Trouble or persecution. So trouble is the rub in our lives, those, those places that make us uncomfortable. Trouble could be as simple to us as I don't feel like doing it anymore. I had a good goal, I had a good intention, but it's rubbing my life in ways that make me uncomfortable. So I'm not going to do what it is I said I was going to do. I'm not going to follow through all my commitments. But that word trouble can also be translated as pressure. And this is real important. Because pressure matters in all kinds of ways. Have you ever felt like you're just under too much pressure and you're going to explode? That that is a problem for you? Have you ever just been committed to so many things that the pressure points are so great that you just feel like you're going to pop at any time? We all feel that, those pressures that we've put on too much in our lives and it keeps us from making the, equi- the, 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 the commitments that we said that we were gonna make. But pressure is a funny thing because pressure or the lack thereof is often more damaging than too much pressure. In 2007, September the 1st, if we know the exact day, they passed a law that all vehicles now have to have tire pressure sensors inside. The reason is that the tire pressure systems are there to gauge not maximum pressure. They'll do that, and, 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 but it, it, the point of the pressure sensor is to actually tell you when there's not enough. Do you know that most accidents are not because the tire is overinflated, but because it doesn't have enough pressure. And so the pressure usually comes on somewhere around 23 or 24 PSI because they've learned that when the the pressure gets too low, that the tire can look functionally okay on the outside, but because it doesn't have enough 
pressure on the inside, enough PSI, that it will explode and cause cars to topple. They learned this because so many cars were wrecking because of a lack of pressure. Lack of pressure manifests in our lives when we don't have a big enough reason why to do what it is that we ought to do. We'll have a good intent. We even plan to go, but because we've not dealt with the pressure and raised it up enough, then what happens is our lives end up in a perpetual accident because we don't have enough push. So too much can be a problem, but I find that that's rarely it. It's usually the why on the other side, and because the why isn't big enough, at least to us, and maybe sometimes it should be because our lives are going in directions that are harmful to us, that not having enough pressure is just as damaging, if not more, as too much. What is your why? Why is to live in God's kingdom and his virtue, to communicate his value, his truth, to live into his purposes, his plans, to have a healthy marriage, to do well in my studies, to um, be productive, to be a kind individual, to, to whatever those values are. When there's not enough reason to do it, we won't do it. And because the pressure isn't right, the life continually and perpetually crashes into the same things over and over again. Repeat, do it again, repeat, do it again, finding ourselves in the same harmful cycles over and over again. And so we've got to watch the pressure gauge. Yes, that we don't get over stimulated or, or too much, but more to make sure that we don't have too little. We need enough reasons why to live into the purposes. And that word trouble, that, that idea of pressure matters. We need the right amounts on either, on either extreme so that we can be productive and be very careful about that balance. In the sense of agriculture, it works like this, that what causes a plant to put its roots downward is the pressure of not having enough sustenance. So when the plant is not being fed by the nourishment that's around it, because in this case it's too hot, it has nowhere to go if there's a rock there. The pressure is telling it to go downward, but because there's not enough ability to go downward because there's a stop, there's a hardness of heart that's keeping the pressure from being able to push it to its good end, then it will not produce. And so when Jesus is talking about this, and when he goes, when there's too much, when there's pressure or there's persecution, that's usually when people falter in their faith. Persecution is a word that we don't know much about here in this country because most of us don't have people killing us because we say we believe in Christ or threats of those things. We live in a country where it's safe, but we do have persecution nonetheless, it just comes under a disguise. Under words like tolerance. On the words like cultural sensitivity. And the way that these manifest themselves is like this, that we are to be tolerant to everybody else's belief. And you can have a measure of tolerance, by the way, and still be Christian and respect somebody's decision not to choose Christ. That's okay. But when tolerance keeps me from my witness then we've got to recognize that is persecution that's trying to keep what is in you from God to give to others inside. Under the threat of if you talk about Jesus, you're going to lose your job or you're going to be called a bigot or you're going to be insensitive or whatever way that you want to frame that. This is the way that persecution looks to us in our 21st century America. 
And when that persecution comes, I've seen Christians that are all radical in church and they get in front of somebody and this whole idea of cultural sensitivity comes up and they're sitting there stumbling over words, making sure they don't say the right things, making sure that they're not offensive, making sure that they've just packaged in just the right way so that it can be digested. Let me ask you this. If a house is on fire, is it culturally insensitive to rush inside to rescue? Is it culturally insensitive to do everything you can, particularly if you know the folks that are in there. Even if you don't, this matters. But let's just go with this analogy for a while. If it's on fire, don't we have an obligation to go and put it out? When we see a world consumed in the fires of destruction, of hell sweeping up around them, is it more insensitive to put the fire out? Or more insensitive to let it burn? Scripture's clear on that answer. And we should be as well that it is more insensitive to let it burn than to put it out. And people's lives are being hijacked and they can't produce and they're not, their marriages are a wreck and their kids are running away from the Lord and our job is to help put those fires out and not worry about being so sensitive that they're not offended in the process. They'll thank you for it on the other side of that. Part of the problem, I think, though, with this idea that I'm talking about here, this pressure and trouble and persecution, is we don't have the right people telling us what it is that we need to do. We have this tendency to be around people. We all have to be around people that like us and affirm us and will tell us how great we are. None of us really want to go to the doctor unless he's going to give us a good report. We might go for the annual physical and feel good. You're in shape. All your blood levels are good. We feel really good about that. Other than that, if we're sick, we don't want him telling us that we're sick. But if we don't know we're sick, we don't get well. We don't seek the remedy to get well. And so it's important to be around people that won't just tell us what it is that we want to hear. That won't just tell us what it is that we desire to hear, but people that will tell us the truth about ourselves. Even if that truth hurts so that the rocks can come up out and so that the roots can grow deep, stop just chasing after people that will validate you and validate what you think. And that's the way most of us exist. We want somebody to tell us that what we're doing is right, but what about when it's wrong? Here is the place that the rub of the scripture really cuts. Because sometimes the hard truth is the truth we need most. Do you have people in your life that are trusted advisors that can tell you the truth? Every married person says, amen, yes. I got at least one that'll tell me about myself and about how I'm not doing what I need to do. But beyond your spouse, is there somebody that you could trust? A pastor, a counselor that you know will tell you the truth about you, the truth about you that you don't wanna hear or maybe the truth about you that you need to hear, about dreams that you need to claim, about a vision that you need to run after, about some sin issues that are hiding underneath that no one sees. Who are those people in your life? We, we, we all need them. The third symptom that we find in this text is that a life without proper root support, the shallow life, produces frustration and discouragement. Frustration and discouragement comes because the seed comes in and it all starts out so well. I'm making a commitment, I'm gonna be healthy, and then a couple of weeks in, 
the commitment dies off and we start feeling bad again or the cost of how much it is. Like in my grandmother's lawn, was tw- it's just too much. I'm just too much work. And so we settle for less than God's best in our lives. And we do it over and over again in so many different ways. And it manifests in so much pain that the Lord is saying, aren't you tired of not producing? Aren't you tired of feeling discouraged? And some of the way that discouragement manifests itself in our lives is that we start blaming others. We start accusing others for our position that we're currently in. And we're angry at them because we're stuck. If I had the advantages that they had, then I would be much further along in life. If I had people encouraging me and patting me on the back, then I could go further. If I had someone doing for me what they did for them, then I would be further along than I should, than I am right now. All of those excuses to blame If you didn't speak to me that way, I wouldn't speak to you that way. And we have all of these reasons why we do. It sounds like Adam in the garden. That woman that you gave me, God, is the reason why I ate that fruit. It's not my fault, Your Honor. It might be my wife's fault. But I'm thinking, you're the one who planted that tree. And if you didn't want me to eat that tree, you shouldn't have planted it. Because you know how hot she looked. And when she gave me that fruit, you know I had to eat it. Pastor Shane translation. You feel me? I mean, he's blaming God for the situation. God didn't make the choice for him. But God always wants us to have a choice because love demands a choice. A choice, a decision to say yes or no. To say I will or I won't. When there's no decision, there's only one thing to eat, then you eat what it is that you have. But when there's a choice, you get in the context of love. And the Lord wants us to love the good. To love the good that our lives can produce. And not to allow bitter roots to burn into our hearts. But to deal with them. When there's offense, you confront it even when it's hard. And to trust that God is at work beyond our ability to even see it because his plan for you is to bear fruit, some 100, some 60, and some 30-fold. So where is the scripture rubbing you today? Where are the good seeds of the Lord that have been planted over your life that started out with a good intention but sort of haven't really produced in the way that you want? Maybe you lost heart because you prayed for something and it didn't happen in your timeline. Faith is the substance of things we hope for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible never tells us that we should stop praying. It actually says, Jesus told this parable that so, so that you will pray and never give up. And then he proceeds to tell a story about a woman that continually petitions a, a judge and then gets the result that she wants because of her persistence. But sometimes it's that rub of persistence and trying or the rule that says that we are to love our enemies and we don't want to and to bless those that curse you. I don't want to bless them. I want to bless them out. Do good to them that hate you. I I don't want to do good to people that don't like me. You see the ideal, it's the rub. But if I really want a life that produces and I want the area of my friendships and my relationships with people to prosper, then I need to think about them differently. Thinking about them in such a way where the soil can be fertilized and watered in the word of God in such a way that it produces a lot of fruit. David, seeing himself here and seeing his life a total wreck, he'd committed the sin 
of adultery with Bathsheba. And then he didn't want to talk about it. He was hiding it. He had it under the surface. Nathan the prophet confronts him and says a parable to him about a man that steals another person's only sheep that he had. And he says, you lamb. And David says, I'll kill that guy. Nathan says, it's you. He had a trusted friend to deal with him. And then David said, man, when I kept silent and I just wasn't really dealing with this stuff, it's like I was being eaten away from the inside. The root system that had made my life so strong, I haven't been nurturing. And then he offers these words, Lord, create in me a new heart, a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me away. Take your pre- don't take your presence from me. Renew and restore me. This was David's prayer. Or in the words of the prophet, give me a heart of stone and a heart of flesh for this heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh for this heart of stone. This is the word. And we need this word to be able to go deep into our hearts if we want it to produce the life that God wants us to have. If God's plan is for you to thrive in every area of our heart, it must mean that there are some areas that the seed is hit and you get real excited about it and maybe even shout about it. But then when it comes time to go deep because of the pressure, You've got to deal with it. You got low pressure, got high pressure on the top side, you got low pressure on the bottom side to get that pressure right so that it can go down and grow. I'd like the worship team to come back up. So, how's your garden look today? The garden of your heart? I know this is teaching, it's important. Because I believe that this is what the Lord wants for us so that we can make it through this year and be successful. He wants you to thrive. But where are those hard areas of your heart? Where are those spaces that in the message today you've been identifying and saying to yourself, I need to deal with that. I've had unforgiveness, I need to deal with it. I have, I have a lust problem, I need to get that under control. I've got an offense against a brother that I need to reconcile. I haven't been speaking to my kids in the way that I should. I need to deal with that. What, what is it for you? Likely there are several areas. If you're like me, there are several areas that you know that the Lord has been trying to get a hold of you. And today he's just knocking on the door of your heart and saying, I want that area because my plan for you is to thrive. I remember some years ago I was talking to a young woman who had gotten her heart right with the Lord for the 50,000th time. And she asked if she could share a testimony. And so she's there in front of the crowds of people and she begins to tell what it is that God had done in her heart and to try with urgency to compel the congregation on that particular day to rally and to put God first and that they would see a great fruit from their life. The crowd was dead. She comes to be frustrated and she says, you know, Pastor Shane, I've, I've really tried here to communicate God's word and to tell people the truth about who God is. But even after when I was talking to people, it's like they weren't listening to me. And I said some hard truth to her and I said, you know, KJ, the problem isn't with what you said. The problem is with the life that said it. 
Your life's a roller coaster. And right now you're on a high with Jesus, but that you've taught this congregation because they've watched your life and they've watched you grow up in this church that you're erratic. You're not somebody that's reliable. They know that you're a flash in the pan and that the likeliness of if they're going to track your life is that you're going to fall off the wagon again here soon. You're not consistent. You want them to listen to what you're saying, but your mouth is writing checks that your life can't back up. She's like, Ooh. I was trying to get encouragement. I said, no, this is encouragement. Because if you can fix that, I think you've got a powerful testimony that can transform the world. And she's like, well, what do I do? I said, you commit. You commit to the growth process. You commit and plant yourself and begin to produce fruit. Instead of running after every dream and whim that comes across your mind, to dig your roots deep down and invest yourselves, yourself in this community and build trust with the people that you're trying to reach. Let them see that your life is consistent. She said, well, well how long is that going to take? A month? No. It's going to take two years. I need two years. She says to me, I'm going to have to think about it. So she walks out of my office. A couple hours later, she knocks on the door. She passes by. She says, you got it, two years. I said, okay. In that two years, I was encouraging her, and I was kind of helping her with her testimony and share her story. Within about six months, people started to lean in a little bit and pay attention. And she says to me, I think it's starting to turn. I'll go, it is. Watching the next six months what God does. And the next six months... She was leading a life group, a small group of, of women that she was investing her life in. And she started pouring into these women. And these women started to catch the fire that was burning in her own heart. The next year, she was leading a large conference with women of every age and every ethnic background. And the room and the arena that she was uh, teaching in was huge. But it took an investment. It took a commitment. It took her dealing with that. After two years, she says, you know what, Pastor, this is so awesome. I'm going to give you another one. I said, okay, let's watch what God does. And then next year, God was sending her all over the world. She didn't have a Bible degree. She had a passion for Jesus. And that passion made her get rid of what was underneath the surface, those rocky areas. And now she's leading a church alongside of her husband, in Maryland, and the power of God is working through this woman that doesn't have a Bible degree, that just said yes to Jesus and was willing to plant herself in the purpose and let those roots grow deep so that the world could take and eat of its fruit. It doesn't take Bible degrees to win people to Jesus. It doesn't take a career in ministry to turn the world upside down. It just takes a yes. Yes, Lord. Deal with that rock underneath the surface. I'm tired of putting a face on for everyone but nobody really knows the real me. I keep finding myself disqualified, not because you're not trying to help me. You are. But because I can't get that root to go deep because of these hard areas. Created me a clean heart. And renew a steadfast and right spirit within me. 
Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.